Welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 211. My name is Mike Anello, back again. Um, not quite two weeks since our last episode, a little more actually, but we're going to get uh, getting things back on track. And today we're going to be talking with Tara King. Tara, how are you? Doing very well. How are you? Uh, not too bad. We're actually recording this on the 4th of July. Yeah, happy 4th. Which uh, I was very appreciative. I forgot to mention that. Very appreciative that you were that you were willing to do this <laughs> this afternoon. Oh, no problem, no problem. I figured, you know, it's early enough in the day where we still have we still go out and the fireworks are later. So, exactly. the, the sun is definitely still up where I am. Yeah, so. same. Okay, so Tara, you go by um, Sparkling Robots in the Drupal community. So I know that you've you've been around for a while. So um, I'm sure do you think more people recognize your name or your username at this point? I think my username. <laughs> I don't know when it was, but I've been aware of you from the standpoint of your username before I put together that Tara King is sparkling robots. Yeah. I've definitely had people who are confused about who I am. There's another Tara King on drupal.org who's not sparkling robots. <laughs> it gets a little confusing. Yeah, yeah. There's a few people in our community like that who have this same first and last name. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's troublesome on Slack when I'm like searching for someone. Oh my gosh. Them. I know. I always try to not ping the wrong person. It's So I guess we can talk about um, you actually just got a new job. I did. Yeah. I just got a new job with Pantheon. As a? As a customer success engineer. So basically answering all your Pantheon questions um, around performance, around your site, all kinds of stuff like that. So I haven't started yet, but very soon. What's like your Drupal forte? Uh, my Drupal forte, that's an interesting question. I um, I kind of came into Drupal through design, which is a, a really bizarre way to come into it. Um, and so I feel like I've kind of been all over the map in terms of my history. Like I started with design, then I got into front end stuff, and now I'm a back end developer. Um, but I think the thing I really love about Drupal and where my uh, strengths really shine is with the community. Um, I love going to events. I love mentoring. I love... Um, I feel like I wouldn't have gotten over the infamous Drupal learning curve without the help of a few really generous folks. And I just love giving back in that same way to help people join the community and find their spot. Yeah, and that's kind of the point of today's podcast. Yeah, exactly. It really meshes well. I love that stuff. So you were recently, I'll use the phrase called out by Dries in a blog post. <laughs> Um, for something you're working on, uh, the diversity, the Drupal diversity and inclusion contribution team. Yes. And so we're going to dig into that in a minute, but let's table that one. A little bit more about you. You are um, something I did not know or I didn't pay attention to, or maybe I knew and I just didn't put it all together. Uh, a member of the core mentoring leadership team. Yeah. So um, I kind of got added um, when we started Contrib Team. I think the folks who are in mentoring saw the obvious overlap um, between what I was doing and what they're doing. Um, so I've been hanging out with those folks for a while. Um, they are the ones who plan uh, the sprints at DrupalCons and support sprints generally. Sorry, we're kind of shifting away from the terminology of sprints towards contribution days, but I'm a little stuck in my habits. Uh, so things like marketing uh, the event, organizing the event, recruiting and training mentors, providing the tools that we use. So the different environments, different local environments and things like that. Um, that first time mentors, sorry, first time contributors workshop that they give every year, that's all organized entirely by volunteers. Um, the DA basically gives the space and we do all the rest. So it's a huge lift and it's a great group of people. So is that specific to 
in-person Drupal events or is there an online component to that core mentoring as well? Right now, so we meet every month as a group. Um, we have a, a we used to be an audio call, now we do Slack meetings um, to sort of plan the sprints. Right now, uh, Contrib team is planning an online sprint or a virtual contribution day. Um, so that's kind of in DDI's wheelhouse, but we have uh, Ellie Ludwigson from Mentoring Helping, and there's a lot of crossover between the two groups. All right, so in a second, we're going to dig into the Drupal Diversity and Inclusion contribution team stuff. Before we do, I do want to mention our sponsor, mydropwizard.com. They offer uh, maintenance plans for your Drupal site for Drupal 6, 7, and 8. You can pay them a small monthly fee starting at 99 bucks a month, and they will make sure that your Drupal 7 and 8 site stays up to date with security updates. Um, they guarantee 24-hour response time. So if there's a security update for a module or Drupal core on your site, uh, they will get that module or Drupal core updated within 24 hours and tested. And so you don't even have to worry about a thing. It's a little bit more if you have a Drupal 6 site still. I believe it's 120. it starts at $125 a month. Um, but that low monthly fee, not only does it get you those same-day security updates, um, you also get uh, unlimited uh, request for what's called critical maintenance tasks, meaning the site's down or someone can't log in or you know your site's taking forever to load or something that's stopping your site from being useful. They, they will, you know, you give them a call, you post something in their queue and they will get your site back up and running. They have some advanced uh, plans as well, cost a little bit more money, but they will do more. They will. They will also update uh, non-security um, updates for modules and core. Um, they can also do additional kind of one-off maintenance tasks for you as well. Like if you have a page where you know suddenly that you don't like the color, um, and they just can go in there and change the CSS. Or if you have a view that you know used to be working and now it's not working, they can get in there and fix that view for you. So if you're interested in kind of offloading some of that day-to-day maintenance work for either a site you own or a site that you maintain, you probably want to get in touch with the folks at mydropwizard.com. And I believe, Tara, actually, I don't believe, I know for a fact (laughs) that they actually will, I don't know if it's for their basic plan or for a little bit, uh, one of their higher plans, they will actually migrate your site to Pantheon. Cool. I didn't know that. For free. Yeah, because I, I believe it's easier for them to keep your site updated if it's running on Pantheon. That's amazing. Really good folks over there. So definitely check them out at mydropwizard.com. All right. So Tara, let's dive into this. Um, first of all, did you have a heads up that that there was going to be a lot of um, uh, a lot of exposure or a lot of, I don't know if promotion is the right word, uh, from Dries uh, you know, with this blog post that he put out? Not exactly. I mean, we did have a conversation, so I knew it was coming. Um, I spoke with uh, Gigi at Acquia. She works for Acquia and did a women of is I think still doing a women of Drupal series. And I had mentioned uh, contribute. Well, I don't think I could shout up about contrib team to be honest. I'm really excited about it. Um, and I had mentioned that it, it kind of came about as part of or as a response to Dries's, um I think it's called State of Drupal Post that he does, um, where he kind of looks at who's contributing to Drupal. And she had the idea, which I greatly appreciate, to uh, mention it to him. So I did know that it was going to come out. Um, I did not quite expect as much um, excitement from folks, and it's great to be here as a result of that. Um, Just really excited to get people aware of what we're doing and 
maybe recruit some new folks, that kind of thing. So it's been a great month. So give us the kind of the 10,000 foot view of, of what this team is, what, what it does, like what the goal is, just kind of, if you're explaining it to my mom, for example. <laughs> sure. I don't know her, but I'm sure she is very smart. And so I'll just. She's a lovely woman, but I, she, I'm pretty sure she has no idea what I do for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, many, many it people works don't. with computers. That's exactly. Funny. Yes. So what we're doing um, is trying to help people from underrepresented groups in the Drupal community learn how to give back to the Drupal project. Um, that means women, people of color, religious minorities, all kinds of folks who maybe don't see themselves reflected in the community, maybe don't feel that kind of immediate sense of connection that some of us do coming into a Drupal event. Um and want to be involved, but maybe just haven't had the right um, connections or the right opportunities to do so. So we're here to basically help make that journey as easy as possible for those folks, um, because it matters that we have everyone represented, and it matters that these folks have those opportunities. Um, certainly Drupal has been a huge opportunity for me, and I just want to be able to pass that on to other people and help them have a better quality of life, better uh, community, that kind of thing that I feel like I've really gotten from Drupal. Well, when you say it matters, I mean, it it matters from a karma standpoint, sure. But it also matters. I mean, there are studies, and I, I don't oh, yeah. have any of the tip of my tongue, that say that when you have a diverse group of people working on a project, whether it's an internal project for a company or an open source project or anything, mm-hmm. the results are inevitably better. Yes, there are tons of studies about this. More uh, women leadership in a company tends to lead to better revenue, all kinds of things. Um, all, basically, every study um, says the same thing, which is just uh, you have more ideas in the room. You have more ability to um, really improve and, and make your product as strong as it can be because you have a lot of perspectives on it, not just one or two. Um, and so obviously, you know, the Drupal project uh, is huge, right? We have uh, gosh, I, I don't know how many thousands of developers and how many millions of sites that we're powering. Um, and then beyond that, other open source communities look to Drupal and want to see what we're doing and want to see how we've done it. Um, so it kind of it matters on both sides, like both on the, the sort of client end user side and on the developer community side. Um, so I think it really, if we can show the power that diversity has, the power that having a lot of different folks in the room really has for our product as well as for our community, I think that's going to be a really powerful, compelling argument for lots and lots of people to do better. So how did it get started? How did the team get started? Was there What was the germ of the idea of that? It's such a small, it, it feels so small. We, um, Dries wrote his State of Drupal uh, uh, post last year with Matthew Tift, and they looked at who was contributing. It was a lot focused around if it was individual contributors or more um, corporate company type things. Um, and there was like one paragraph that basically addressed diversity and said that fewer than 6% of contributions to Drupal.org are from women. Um, and that's really, really low. Uh, <laughs> it's really sad. Um, and the fact of the matter is we didn't even have any data about um, racial differences or religious differences or anything else. We don't collect any of that on Drupal.org. We only have this very limited gender field. Um, so that was all the data they could provide. And that was frustrating to the diversity team, the Drupal diversity and inclusion group. Uh, people were disappointed by the numbers and frustrated that there wasn't better data. There was a lot of talk about it. And um, like I said, I think I've always been really interested in this question of mentoring and getting people into the community. So I basically said, okay, I'm just going to start a Slack channel for this. 
Um, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know exactly, you know, we all talked about different kinds of formats and different ideas of how this might get better. Um, and so I just started another Slack channel. It's DDI-Contrib-Team. Um, folks came in there. We've got, I think, about 80 people in there right now. Um, and it's been kind of a work in progress since then, uh, deciding kind of what are the barriers for people? What kind of projects make people motivated? Um, that kind of thing. So that's how we got started was basically just a single conversation with a group of folks. Yeah, it's kind of funny the way you, you, you talk about it because it seems like, you know, I've been in meetings or, you know, ongoing conversations with clients where you're talking about doing something and talking about doing it and talking about and planning and thinking about it. And, but then you never actually do something. Yeah, exactly. Analysis paralysis is the, is the phrase that I was here when it comes to that. And just saying, well, let's, let's try something mm-hmm. because if it doesn't work, then we can try something different. We can change later on. But this actually that first step of trying something, like you mentioned, create a new Slack channel. Let's see how that goes. Let's see if that's the thing that gets this thing rolling. Let's start putting some rubber on the road. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you started this new Slack channel yep. and people started joining. So was it mainly folks looking to mentor or were, was it mainly folks looking to, who said, look, I want to contribute, I want to, you know, but I don't know how. I think it's both. Okay. It's kind of interesting. The more that I'm in, I mean, I think that the core mentoring team absolutely taught me this, which is that, um, we all know things we all can teach. There's no, um, magical line that you have to cross to be able to teach someone about what, you know, you just, once you know something, you think it's easy. So you you don't think it's much to teach, but so I think, uh, sort of learning that from core mentoring, bringing it into Drupal diversity and inclusion meant that, um, a lot of folks in there are, um, absolutely there to be mentored, and also have incredible technical knowledge. They absolutely know what they're doing. Um, they just need a little bit of support on the community side, like how to navigate the issue queue. Is it okay to leave this kind of comment or that kind of comment? When is it appropriate to leave a patch? When is it not? You know, like kind of the... Um, the mechanics. Yeah, the mechanics of it and, and some of the unspoken etiquette or, you know, historical kind of behaviors. Um, so we have some folks in there who just need that amount of work. And then we have some folks who are maybe front enders who want to learn a little bit of back end stuff or, you know, want to kind of test their skills in that way. And then we have folks who I think genuinely just really support the effort, um, who are, uh, very deep in the Drupal community, uh, really know, I mean, back to front, like exactly how the issue queues work, exactly how this is going to get into core or a module or whatever. So it's kind of a mix. And I think we try to be really fluid about that, about, um, you know, not having the strict hierarchy, but letting people really shine when they know what they're doing and then letting them learn when they know when they need some guidance. And I think people are really taking to that model. Is, you know, I, I know that we talked about how that Slack channel was the kind of initial try. Is that still kind of the go-to place? Like if I am someone who is looking to get more involved, is that still the best place for me to go? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the channel is still really active. We have two two different meetings each week. And then we have a monthly meeting for kind of everyone to come together. Um, that all happens in the Slack channel. We do have a project on Drupal.org that kind of outlines what we're up to um, and has all of our meeting notes and that kind of stuff. Um, but the the real place to go get involved is to drop into the channel, say hi, let us know um, what you're looking for. If you want to help mentor, if you think that you'd be a good candidate for being mentored to like make your first commit or your 10th commit or whatever stage you're at, um, just jump in. We're all pretty friendly, I think. 
So how does it work? So so someone jumps in and says, "Hey, I've I've heard about this from Teresa's blog post. I'm I would love to get involved. Um, you know, I can I know a little bit of PHP. I know a little bit of you know theme development. Do you match up people one on one, or is it just kind of like group mentoring in the in the channel, or like what does that look like? Yeah, we have a couple different models right now. So. Um, one of the meetings is for the gender field module, which we started sprinting on at uh, DrupalCon Nashville. Um, it was originally created by Jesse Beach for Drupal 7, and, and uh, they handed it off to us and said we could be co-maintainers of the Drupal 8. So we decided to upgrade it to Drupal 8 and make some pretty substantial changes, which I can talk about later. Um, so there's that team. So uh, we have a specific module that we maintain. There's an issue queue. Um, it's pretty pretty standard kind of contrib process. Um, and then we have another meeting that's for more general, like front end, back end mentoring. So if you're a back end developer and you just want to like learn how to do a commit, you don't want to necessarily be part of a whole team that's maintaining an entire module. You just want to learn the, the mechanics of the committing process. You can come to that meeting. Uh, we can find you an issue, that kind of thing. So those are our two main things. And then Mondays, sorry, our monthly meetings are... Um, kind of longer term vision, where do we want to go next? What kind of big things do we want to take on, you know, on the horizon? So if that's sort of your speed, if you're uh, a big, big thinker, big picture thinker, those are good meetings too. So yeah, just drop in, say hi. So correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like if someone just drops in, mm -hmm. are they going to be kind of redirected to one of these monthly meetings? I try to say hi to folks when they show up in the channel, um, just right there in the channel, say hi, uh, so we're about, um, if I don't, it just means I'm on vacation and I'll probably do it in a couple of days. Um, and then, yeah, generally I think a lot of people lurk. They don't necessarily feel like they want to jump in right away, which is perfectly fine. And then, um, the meetings often people see them happening and jump in, you know, Oh, I actually have a thought about X, Y, Z, whatever the question is. Okay. So I, I don't, I, I want to make sure we set expectations. So if, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. If someone jumps in, it, this is not like a, you know, I need to update this patch right now. How do I do it? It's not for that so much. As right. That does happen. It sort of depends on who's available and how busy, you know. So it's if you need like ad hoc support um, on contribution, there is a contribution channel on Slack. I think it's just hashtag contributing. But this is not that. No, we will do it. If it, Like I said, if someone's available, I've seen it happen very successfully. It's just not our forte. <laughs> It's not what we're there for. Yeah, this is more for kind of like long-term or longer-term mentoring. Yeah. Like I want to I want to start this journey or, I, or I'm, I'm on the journey. I'm just not sure where I'm at and I want to move, you know, along the path further. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I was feeling um, coming into the Drupal community as sort of an underrepresented person um, was that it can be really uh, hard to make uh, connections and to, to build your network, not because people aren't friendly. It's just a little bit intimidating and um, it's just not as I think simple. So I think a lot of folks don't have the network that they need to learn how to learn, to learn how to do this. Right. And so if you can go to DrupalCon, I a hundred percent recommend the contribution days there. I think they're a fantastic learning opportunity, a fantastic way to make friends and meet people, but it also costs money to get to DrupalCon and it requires a lot of uh, commitment. And so what we were trying to look at was how can we over the course of the full year, not just at DrupalCon, how can we help these folks have a friendly person to talk to, help them um, continue that contributor journey? Because I think sometimes you start at DrupalCon and then 
you get busy or you forget exactly how to do it and it gets a little muddy. So we're kind of trying to uh, look at what, what happens at DrupalCon and, and tweak it a bit so that it's a little more sustainable, a little bit more um, kind of friendly, long-term uh, connections, if that makes sense. So yeah, the, the ad hoc one issue is, it will, like I said, it's been done, but mostly it's more about building a, a, a deep relationship with this very diverse group and um, moving from there to try to uh, improve the Drupal project. Have you or someone else kept like statistics as far as like how many mentors have been, how many contributors that you've helped or anything like that? Or You know, I have tried. It's so fluid that it's hard to determine, you know, it's like, I'll see someone who claims that they're a mentee or a you know, contributor um, walking someone else through how to use the issue queue. And it's like, at what point, have you, you know, so um, we have, like I said, about 80 people um, in the channel of that group, I would say about 20 to 25 are active on any given day. And obviously, it's not like a ongoing conversation, but in any given meeting, we have folks jumping in and out over the course of say a month or two, like they'll, they're there half the time. Um, and yeah, it's just so fluid. It's hard to, um, exactly, um, track. We do have a Drupal.org organization, which is like companies have them. <laughs> we just kind of repurposed it. So, you know, when you're uh, on the issue queue and you can say this commit is on behalf of Tara King at organization, um, there's a way to credit an organization. So we've asked people to um, join the organization to kind of uh, let us track commits there. Um, and so we have, I don't know, like 12 or 13 issues that we've worked on. Um, and the gender field module is still in progress. A bunch of them are still in progress. So those are the ones that we've completed. Um, and then we have our meetings and stuff too. So so yeah, we're, we're still working out the uh, the kind of quantifying part of that. <laughs> part of the problem. What have you learned? Have you learned any lessons as far as, you know, this doesn't work or this works really well or? Yeah. I mean, in terms of um, quantifying folks coming in and out, I would say we've learned that it's harder than it looks. Um, and, you know, demographics are hard to, um, to survey appropriately. Um so I think we're still kind of working on that part of the gender field modules around that kind of question. Um, and in terms of what gets people to show up or to, to help people be um, motivated, I think uh, the gender field module has been a huge success. And I don't think it's unrelated to the fact that a lot of us uh, don't feel reflected necessarily by the current options of the gender field module, um, which is the same one that's on Drupal.org, basically male, female, transgender, and other. Um, so I think there's certainly an amount of... Um, nothing about us without us. We want to be there having the conversation about our own um, preferences and, and um, identities. So I think some of that is just, it's really relevant and nobody else is doing it. So that's been really easy to get people motivated to do. Um, and then I think in terms of the other stuff, that's just like, we have uh, some issues on the examples module, the friendly autocomplete. Uh, we had a whole team basically build out the the DrupalDiversity.org, our own website, to kind of get people familiar with Drupal 8. And a lot of what I heard from folks there was um, we had Colleen Clarkson, who's an amazing, amazing person. He worked on that with us, and he's a, a front-end person. And he's never really – he said he hadn't really worked with a project manager before. And we have Alex Lofnan, who's a project manager, and they're working together. And Colleen just said he learned so much just from working with a project manager. So I think it also really helps when people can see the direct 
uh, impact on their life. And I don't mean that from a selfish perspective, but everybody has a lot going on. And when you can really see uh, this is going to help, whether it's by making new friends, learning new skills, um, getting my Drupal.org profile to look a little bit fancier, whatever that is, uh, really helps people get involved. Um, I think sometimes a lot of open source contributors feel like they ought to be doing it. They should be doing it. And um, that's just not a very motivating place to come to an event with. But sometimes it just takes a little bit of structure, though. Yeah, exactly. It's not that hard. I think people really do see the rewards very quickly, even if it's just some random issue. Um, But it takes a little bit of uh, patience to get to that point. Yeah, so I actually... um... You mentioned Kaleem. I've known Kaleem for a while. He's one of the main organizers of the Atlanta Drupal Camp. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he took one of my long-form classes as well. Um, he, he, that guy's like a sponge. He is. <laughs> and, and for the most part, he's a very um, positively motivated sponge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually saw, I think he left a comment on Dries' blog post. Yeah, he did. I, I, I liked hearing that. All right, so let's... I want to go back to the gender field module. Yeah. And this ties in with the Open Demographics Project. Mm-hmm. Another um, Drupal Diversity Inclusion member is, I, I, I guess, is she touch, is, is Nikki the founder? Did she start? Uh, yes. Nikki is the founder and until this past DrupalCon was the leader of the group. So she started um, this Open Demographics Project, obviously not, not Drupal specific. Um, and I'm going to get, I, the only bit I know about it is what I've read um, on, on the GitHub. So you might know more about it. So maybe like a 10,000 foot view of that and how that's being leveraged by the gender field module. Yeah. So um, apologies to Nikki if I get this wrong, but how I talk about the Open Demographics Project is um, re- a lot of people get demographics wrong um, in terms of asking questions, when to ask questions, which questions to ask. And it's not like it's a hard technical problem to build. I mean, especially in Drupal, right? You you can change somebody's user profile. You can add any number of fields. Um, the hard part is knowing what options to provide, um, how to make that form feel inclusive. And so what they're doing, with, what we are doing with Open Demographics is open sourcing the creation of the questions. So right now, there's no technical implementation of the open demographics questions. They're just a list of questions and uh, suggested answers. So uh, around gender, I think there's like three of them, um, just kind of going off my memory here. So check it out if you want to know the details. But basically, there's uh, what is your gender? What is uh, What pronouns do you like to use? And then I believe there's like a, a titles one, because those are often gendered. Um, so basically, open demographics open sourced and created the list of suggested answers and how to ask them. So it's not only uh, male or female, or in Drupal's case, male, female, transgender, or other, right? And it's many people have overlapping identities. They might choose two or three different ones. They So rather than saying it has to be a radio button, so you can only choose one, we suggest using a checkbox so that people can choose multiples. Um, and then Again, you can layer that on with, with pronouns. Maybe you don't need to know gender and you just need to know pronouns so that you're um, application can correctly use pronouns for that user or any number of reasons. So that's kind of what Open Demographics does. It's tried to um, look at all of the demographics questions that might be asked and then ask people that are in those groups how they might want to be talked about, how they might want to be um, uh, referred to. So the other part of it um, that I, I find really interesting is that for each question, it's actually documented. Like this is where 
you know, the suggestion to ask the question this way is based on this paper or this book or this. So it actually has a, um, what's the right word? Bibliography. Yeah. Bibliography. Yeah. So you can, so that it's not just, you know, Nikki or, or whoever's contributor to the open demographic project. It's not just their opinion. It's based on what is kind of the, the, the latest, um, proper best way to, to, to ask a particular question or what options to provide. Yeah. And the idea being also that in that same vein, it's a living set of questions. So as things shift, as people's uh, understandings and, and the information changes, we can change the question. So um, it's not just this like stuck in a moment in time kind of thing that happens. Right. And there's a bunch more questions uh, um, that are other than the gender ones. It, it sounds like at this point in time, the obviously the, the the gender field module is only concerned with the with the gender questions. Um, so basically, we uh, were looking for something to sprint on at TripleCon, and this had been kind of uh, somebody suggested it, and I just messaged the original uh, maintainer of the module, and it was an easy way to get started was with gender. Um, but yeah, it actually covers race, religion, sexual orientation, um, location, education, disability, age. So yeah, there's a bunch of different cat, uh, categories and th- kind of the the dream for gender field and for um, I think triple.org as well is that we're actually, so now I said it isn't uh, sort of a technical implementation. Uh, Nikki is working on basically converting it to a technical inf- uh, implementation, putting it in JSON so that uh, different places can consume it because uh, she and I both had separate conversations with Tim, I think his name is, at Drupal.org. I only know him by his username, Hestinet. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, is he C-I-O-C-T-O? Something like that. Yeah, he's like the head of all the Drupal.org changes. Uh, um, so anyway, he and I, and I think they also had a conversation. Um, I just said, hey, we're going to be sprinting on this. So if there's a way that we can get this into Drupal.org or, you know, so the current implementation is very simple. It's just the questions as provided by open demographics. But in the future, what we're hoping to do is sort of rebuild the gender field module to um, consume that JSON data so that it can change. So the open demographics can change their answers and we don't have to worry about uh, keeping our stuff changed uh, up to date. And then um, I think Drupal.org is working on this. Like we're kind of all working together. I don't know how, how many questions Drupal.org is going to implement. Um, but it's really super exciting to have it on that level. You may not be, this might be more a question for Nikki than for you, uh, but now it's popped in my head, so I'm going to ask, are other open source communities, uh, is Nikki working or are other open source communities working with open demographics yet that you know of? Not that I know of. Um, I know that they did a survey using the questions. Uh, I I feel bad. if they, I want to say it's like Mozilla uh, funded it, um, but I'm, totally unsure if that's true because somebody did fund a survey um that were that were part of these using these questions um and i think part of what's really exciting about drupal.org adopting it is there is some skepticism about the sort of um why do we need all of these options why is it such a big deal and i think people think there's going to be junk data entered um and what nikki has found what she said uh there's a great ted talk that nikki gave at um TEDx ASU about the gender field stuff and about open demographics. So totally check that out if you're interested in this. So anyway, people don't enter junk data. People generally feel really great about it. They just select whatever they are um, and everything's fine. And so I think in some ways 
being able to show it on Drupal.org is such an um, amazing opportunity to prove it. And like I said, I think a lot of other open source looks to us for that kind of stuff. So I think that could be a really big um, moment for us to be able to get into the rest of the diversity of the web. Just get it everywhere. Lead the way. Yes, exactly. Lead the way. All right. So let's uh, kind of wrap this up uh, as far as uh, the, the discussion part of this. So if someone wants to get involved, go on, get on the Drupal Slack and go to ddi-contrib-team. Exactly. Yep. And tell me about this, uh, the outreachy stuff. Yeah. So the things that we're working on coming up uh, in the next few months. So we have that virtual contribution day. So um, if anybody's going to be interested in mentoring or being mentored from the, you know, safety of your own home, <laughs> uh, join the channel. We can, we can get you hooked up with that. I'm not sure when it's going to be, I think August. So that's one big thing we're working on. And then outreach is the other one. Um, Outreachy is an intern, a paid internship for free and open source uh, software communities. So it's much bigger than just Drupal. Basically what happens is a project. So in our case, Drupal has to raise $6,500 to um, pay for our intern. And then all of these interns who are, um, I think it's women, uh, gender nonconforming, transgender folks, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, from anywhere in the world or in the U.S., um, basically people of color in the U.S., can all apply to this uh, internship. So they make a couple contributions to the Drupal project. Then we look at the people who've done that and we uh, select an intern or two, however much we can get funding for. And then those folks then spend the next three months um, contributing back to Drupal and getting paid to do it, which I think is so fantastic. Um, so last year, we kind of uh, tried to set it up and didn't get the funding up in time. So that's our next big hurdle is to get the funding for Outreachy. So is Outreachy, I don't understand what our Outreachy's role in all this, are, because if we're raising the funds and guiding the work, like where does Outreachy fit in? Outreachy basically um, does a lot of promotions to find the interns, which is actually a super hard part of the puzzle, right? Um, it's hard to find folks who are not like yourself. It's hard to get out there and find them. So Outreachy has networks that um, find the interns and help them promote. And then it also just kind of um, provides the administrative structure. So most of that money goes directly to the intern. And then I think maybe $500 of it goes to Outreachy to like, schedule things. So Outreachy helps them um, apply, helps us apply, you know, and also I think just kind of um, builds this sort of overall open source um, community of folks who are really interested in it. So it's not just the Drupal project, it's a ton of different projects who are involved in trying to like look up which ones are in there. But it's pretty, it's pretty cool and it's fun. I'm excited about it because it is sort of broader than just the Drupal community um, while still being somebody who directly helps us and directly works on our project. So yeah, that's, that's outreaching. And I think there's another new initiative. The other thing that we're talking about, and this is all still very early days, so I don't have anything super specific, but, um, you know, I've been talking to a couple people who maintain either, um, parts of the Drupal of Drupal core or are working on, um, kind of con very large contrib initiatives. Um, and I think it's no news to anybody that that can be a really, uh, a lot of work <laughs> without a lot of support. Um, and there's, there's a need for people to come in and to take this sort of technical leadership, right? These positions, like if you look at maintainers.txt, there's dozens of modules that are not 
uh, don't have anyone maintaining them. Um, so there's space for people to come in. And so I was recently looking at maintainers.txt and I was thinking, you know, why not? Why, why can't we get some of our folks in there? We have um, some very technically gifted people in uh, Drupal diversity and inclusion and in the contrib team specifically. There's no real reason that they couldn't maintain these things other than just maybe they have some imposter syndrome and they don't feel like they're um, cut out for it. Maybe they feel scared because they just don't know anybody else who's done it. And they don't really know what's involved. Um, maybe they don't want to be locked into like a lifetime of working on the database API um, or whatever it is. So um, I'm kind of trying to look at what might be holding people back and what kind of collective structures we can put in place to help people feel supported to take on technical leadership roles within the Drupal community. So whether that's maintaining a module that's been abandoned or, um, like a uh, initiative outside of core that might maybe to get, you know, there's a lot of stuff people are trying to get into these uh, six month releases that we have now. So we don't have, I guess we don't have a specific plan, but I'm trying to find folks who are underrepresented and get them into our project and then find kind of areas of Drupal core that need more support and see if I can match them up with mentors or um, maybe two or three of them can go in together. If we can't find a mentor who's familiar with the area, um, and yeah, just kind of try to, I think it would be great for the Drupal project to have uh, more diverse technical leadership. And I think it's, you know, it's going to look great on people's resumes and help them really build their skills. So that's really important to me is really the skill building um, and helping people be um, as amazing as I already know. They already are amazing. I just want to help them make the next step. All right. Very good. Um, I think that we've covered everything we, we wanted to talk about. I think so. All right, so let me mention a couple other things and we'll get to the fun part of asking you five questions. I do want to mention, um, I believe this podcast is going to go out just before Drupal Asheville. So I'll make a real quick mention that I will be teaching a full day workshop on Friday, July 13th at Drupal Camp Asheville, all about upgrading your local development environment with DDEV. So I don't know if there's still spots available. I'm going to say yes, there are. But if you're going to head to Asheville and you're looking for something to do on Friday the 13th, uh, definitely check that out. And then about a month after that, on Friday, August 3rd, I'm doing the exact same thing at Drupal Camp Colorado, um, which is Colorado, one of my favorite places to visit. It's actually going to be a mini, a mini vacation for me. I'm going to visit some friends while I'm out there as well. Awesome. Is that up in Denver? It is in Denver. Cool. Now I want to go. It's not that far. Yeah, actually, that's that's true, isn't it? It's it's, it's about eight hours. It's not too bad. Drivable, yeah. more or less. So yeah. So if you're interested in you know learning, you know, kind of upgrading from maybe Aqua Dev Desktop or maybe you're using like MAMP or something on, on your local, and you want to kind of upgrade to something a little bit more modern and and new and configurable. DDEV is a pretty good choice, and uh, so I will get you up and running with DDEV, and you know being able to move your sites into DDEV uh, by the end of the day. So check that out. You just go to the Drupal Camp Colorado website and uh, sign up for that class. Cool. So Tara, I'm pretty sure that um, if someone wants to get a hold of you online, your Twitter account's a pretty good place to do it, correct? Yes, that is correct. And that is at Sparkling Robots? That's the one. Everywhere you find a Sparkling Robots, that's me, <laughs> as far as I should I ask you about how you got that username? Uh, I like glitter and sequins, and I like robots. And that's the most, uh, most I can explain. I think I was just staring at a, one of those account creation fields someday and 
that's I, they came out. <laughs> All right. Well, it's uh, it's 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 on the nose. There's no mystery there. It's nope. It's really not mysterious. I just like both of those things. So this is not one of the five questions, but for you, maybe it'll be a sixth question. So what is like your favorite? Uh, like robot character from like movies or TV? Do you have like a favorite robot? Oh my gosh. I love Marvin, the paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. All right. He is a really depressed robot. Um, He's yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For a second there, even though he's not a robot, I thought you were, you were going for Marvin the Martian. Oh, it's true. He's, he's robot esque in his styling, but he is indeed an organic being. Right, right, right. All right, that's yeah. No, Marvin from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. That's that's not a bad choice at all. Thank you. <laughs> all right, let's let's do this. Five questions. Name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. Oh my goodness. Um, I I like to write poetry, which I feel like is like the easiest way to kill a conversation. But um, I write poetry on Instagram, and um, that's been it's been a, a new practice over the past year and a half or so, and I really enjoy it. <laughs> so. I know nothing about poetry, so this might be a really dumb question. No, there's no dumb questions. Is there like a, st- a specific style of poetry you write? Are there style? I assume that there's. There are absolutely styles. I, um, I mean, I write free verse, so it just doesn't rhyme. Um, it's on Instagram, so it's short. <laughs> it's like almost haiku length. Are you sparkling robots on Instagram? I am. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's kind of fun. Um, I feel like it's a world away from development. Like it's uses a totally different part of my brain, um, and helps me kind of like slow down and appreciate the moment. Yeah. I'm going to guess that most people who write poetry aren't doing it like on a computer or on their phone. They're actually doing it like in a journal with a pen or pencil. Is that the case with you? No, I actually do write it on my phone. Um, which is weird. Oh, for Instagram, that makes sense, right? Yeah. So I, I basically write it on my phone and then I take a little screen cap. Um, I, a lot of people don't like it, but I feel like my phone is always with me. Uh, it's totally easy for me to use and just there's no barrier to entry. So as much as I love notebooks, I, I am uh, an odd duck that way. I like the phone writing. <laughs> yeah. I actually tried to use a journal for note taking and stuff, but I fell in love is a few years ago when, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an Apple uh, guy. So when I realized that like the notes app syncs between everything. Yeah. Right. That changes everything. Then it's always there. It changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. So now I, everything I do, not everything, but so much of what I do is in that stupid notes app because <laughs> it doesn't matter what device I have with me. I have access to it. Totally. Yeah. That's, I use Google keep because I'm on multiple OSs, but it's the same thing. Yeah. All right, what's your favorite movie? Oh, my favorite movie. I feel like I have to say um, there's this movie from the late 90s called Velvet Goldmine that was basically like a fictional biography of David Bowie. Uh, had a huge impact on me as a little high schooler. Um, so I think I have to go with that one. And then my other favorite is The Big Lebowski, which I don't know why. It just I just love that movie. <laughs> I think it's so funny. So is Velvet Goldmine, is that... Is that a documentary about Bowie or? No, it's, it's, um, it's actually not about Bowie. Like they never, ever say his name because he didn't give them permission. It was originally kind of intended to be a biopic. Um, but it's, so it's sort of a fictionalized kind of like, um, there's like a David Bowie-ish character, an Iggy Pop character, Mick Jagger. They're all kind of blended and mixed. Um, but it's a lot about that sort of seventies glam scene. Um, and 
just had a huge impact on me. I love the fashion. I love the music. I love all that stuff. Yeah, my sister, who's a few years, or three years older than I am, she was a huge David Bowie fan. Yeah, me too. So therefore, <laughs> I listened to a lot of David Bowie because you could not escape it when you're in the same house. Yes, you know. older siblings have that power. Um, I actually, I think I've actually seen him in concert. Oh my gosh. It was a while, probably like in the 80s. Oh, I never got to see him live and it's a great regret of mine. Yeah, I think it was probably the Let's, Let's Dance tour. Ah, sure. Yeah. Cool. I'm jealous. <laughs> All right. Um, so maybe we already know the answer to the next question. Your favorite music artist? Uh, David Bowie is definitely on the list. And um, Prince is the other one that comes to mind. Huge fan of Prince. Lived in Minneapolis. I have been trying to get my kids to listen to you know Prince every now and then. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a you know we have Sirius uh, radio in the car, so oh sure. Every now and then when he comes on, I'm I'm trying to get the kids into it, but it's just... <laughs> you're doing good work. <laughs> they will appreciate it when they're older. I have some hits and misses. I actually today it was funny today as we were driving. I was with my daughter today in the car this morning, and uh, she was all excited about being being you know she's a teenager so. Uh, in fourth of july so she wanted to play like she said oh we, we have to listen to you know born in the usa ah. <laughs> all right great yeah but after that let's listen to james brown living wow in nice nice <laughs> she, she's like what is that <laughs> so, so I, had, I had her i had her play it and i don't think she really appreciated it oh someday like, listen to all the noises he's making <laughs> All right. Next up, what is the last exotic animal that you have hand-fed or held or interacted with in any way? Oh my gosh, this is such a hard question. The last wild animal that I had an interaction with, uh, the day that I moved into our new place in Albuquerque, a red-tailed hawk caught a rabbit right in front of us and was perching (laughs) on the fence eating the rabbit for a good 10 minutes. Like It did not care that we were here. So I didn't feed it myself, but it was happily consuming its dinner. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the most recent sort of wildlife encounter. <laughs> yeah, welcome to nature. I know. It was like, you know, after living in Los Angeles, which there is a surprising amount of nature for a city that size, um, but it was like right there in the backyard, just <laughs> having dinner. Fantastic. We have, um, I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, our neighborhood has peacocks. <gasps> Amazing. And our dog, when we first moved into this neighborhood, our dog was not cool with the peacocks. It was barking and just doing everything she could to get outside to chase the peacocks down. But we have now, um, she has now accepted the peacocks and she will, you know, we have a kind of a glass front door or glass in her front door. So she will now sit quietly by the front door as the peacocks come up to the front door and taunt her. Oh my gosh. Now they're bold. Oh, they just come out. I think there's only one specifically that hangs out in our front yard in the morning. And just, you know, it's, it, I guess it's still mating season because this, it's a male and he's still coming out, putting his feathers up and everything. And our dog does not even bark anymore. She's just, <laughs> she's over it. It's boring now. <laughs> All right. And what was your tipping point Drupal moment? Oh my gosh. I feel like there's been a whole series of them, but I'll say my first one. Um, was probably Drupal Camp Twin Cities 2012, I think it was, um, which was my first Drupal event, um, like more than just a meetup. Uh, it was so fantastic. There was a, like, I think it was like a chapter three training about best practices as a Drupal developer that I went to. That was like mind blowing. I learned so much there. And then just um, 
sitting around and seeing all these folks. I mean, you know, a handful of people come who I recognize from issue cues and stuff. Um, and just sort of finally getting it, kind of getting what it means to be in an open source community, right? I'd, I'd known what that meant before. Um, but then to sort of see everyone in person and realize we're all de- dedicating our free time for this. <laughs> like, we're all... It is kind of cool. The first time you make a connection in real life with someone who you've interacted with online only. Like the, it's great every time it happens because, you know, I'm sure it still happens to you. It still happens to me. Yeah. But kind of that first time that you kind of make a connection that, okay, there's a real person behind Sparkling Robots or this username or that username. Yeah. That's kind of, a, that's, it's like a good feeling. It's like, oh, I've got someone I know who lives in some place that I would have never imagined. Right. Yeah. It's magical. I, I just, that was a huge thing to realize uh, kind of how it all, how it all gets done and who's doing it was amazing. Right. All right. Very good. So let me wrap things up uh, here. Let me mention our longtime sponsors, webenable.com and devpanel.com. Check them out if you are interested in development environments, Git repository hosting, or managing your servers with devpanel.com. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of the podcast, by all means, search for us on iTunes or pretty much anywhere else um, that uh, aggregates podcasts. And you can always go to drupalazy.com slash podcast to listen to any of our episodes. And I think that's it. I think that's all I'm going to mention. Um, Let's just get out of here and go celebrate the 4th of July. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. It's uh, really exciting what you're doing. It's, you know, it, it's it's something that, you know, every project needs and, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, our our community has folks like you who is, you know, kind of, you know, putting the rubber on the road and and, and you know, and, and getting the job done. Well, I'm just glad that everybody's so excited about it and we've got a whole team there to work together. So, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great year for us and Welcome to any new folks. So, All right. Well, keep us up to date. If there's anything cool you want to get the word out about, just let us know and we will uh, we'll help you put the word out. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Tara. And we will see everybody on the next Drupal Easy podcast. See ya.